From the corner office to the front desk, people are thinking about culture. Join me and my guest, Toby Menda, a consultant, coach, and mentor for engineering leaders as we discuss the connections between developer experience and culture. So sit back, grab your favorite drink, and join us for another attention-grabbing episode of Talking Culture. Welcome to Talking Culture. I'm your host, Wade Billings, and today my guest is Toby Mende. Am I pronouncing that last name correctly? Mende. Yeah. Menda. Thank you. Menda. Uh, I met Toby uh, probably about two months ago. He was, in fact, introduced to me through a mutual connection. In fact, one of my guests on this, on this uh, podcast, the first guest, in fact, uh, Steve Dwyer. And Toby and I had an, uh, an incredible conversation. Uh, I was in a public library, sitting on a bench, trying to be quiet, but getting very excited because of the conversation that we were having and was told to be quiet by the security guard. So that was fun. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Wade. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be a guest on your podcast. Uh, the pleasure is all mine, my friend. I uh, was excited when you uh, volunteered to be a guest on my podcast because I, you bring a very uh, uh, interesting and insightful perspective, um, which we'll get into more as the episode unfolds. But what I like to do to start out with my guest to kind of get us in the right frame of mind is ask you my famous or infamous three questions. You ready? I'm ready, yes. Excellent. So first question, Toby, what brings you joy? Yeah, um, so two things, uh, and one is very connected to what I'm doing at the moment, and that is when I can see people really working as a team. And I mean, not as a team where everybody tries to prove that they are um, worth it to be on the team, but a team where everybody just does their best job. And it doesn't matter so much where the solution comes from. It's just about the shared purpose. And when you really feel like it's about the common goal and nothing else really matters, because that's so powerful to see. And I really love that. And I love to be part of those teams. And I think that's the way how it should be. I would wholeheartedly agree. And thank you very much for, for sharing that with, with me and our audience, which kind of leads me into the next question. So great segue, which is when was the first time that you became aware of this thing that we call work culture? I think it was in my first job back then when I came from university, because at university we didn't talk about culture at all. I studied computer science and it was a lot about technology, but not really about people. And then in my first job, I realized that the most effective and most best performing teams often were not the ones with the people who had the highest seniority, but there were sometimes teams with very junior people that seemed to perform better because they just worked better together. And then I realized it's not only about the skills that we have, but it's more about how we work as a group. And mm. that was when I thought, okay, culture really is an important thing. See, and this is why I was excited to have you as a guest. Uh, again, uh, you, you, in that, just that, that brief uh, explanation or answer to my question, Toby, you encapsulated so many things that, um, are important about culture. And uh, again, we're, we're going to get into as the conversation goes on. But to wrap up this, this uh, inquiry, um, when was the last time you felt a sense of thriving and what experience or what were the conditions that you were in that uh, allowed for that sense of thriving to occur? Mm -hmm. Great, great question. And it's connected to what brings me joy, because I think when we are thriving, then we feel this, uh, this feeling of joy. And that is um, when we had an incident, it's already a bit ago, but that was really an, like a memorable experience. And you think, okay, wow, you had an, exp uh, an incident. And that was a nice experience where you were thriving. And it was exactly like this, because it was a huge thing for the company I was working at that moment, everything stood still. And people were just joining the call where we were uh, on the incident and mm -hmm. trying to figure things out. And there were teams from different um, or people from different teams 
who were working together and trying to figure it out. And even though we were not working together on a daily basis, the people just worked together like they always would work together. And it was really amazing because it was not about blaming and finding the person who broke something, but it was about finding out why it was broken, what was broken, how we can fix it in the fastest way. And then even the leadership team joined and looked and was really amazed by what is happening in this room because people were just so focused on finding the solution, breaking out into smaller groups, throwing in ideas. And that was just beautiful. And it was really productive as well. And within a short time, we had found that issue and were able to solve it. And that was so cool because it wasn't only in a team that works together on a daily basis, but it was in a large organization where people only meet every few days or maybe even weeks or just have a virtual coffee every now and then. But right. the people just work together because the culture of this company was so focused on the shared purpose and not so much about we need to prove each other and we have hierarchies where we need to step up and show that we are better than others. And that was, that was so cool. That is awesome. Uh, and I want to provide some context for our audience. Um, so you are a software engineer by, by education and by trade, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think what you were just describing is, you know, in, in the world of software, uh, there are oftentimes issues um, when, you know, things aren't going so well, right? Uh, the the website has crashed. The application has a bug in it. Uh, somebody is attempting to, uh, you know, break into your systems. There are a multitude of things that could be happening. And, you know, in, in technology, we call that an incident. And at that time, uh, a team comes together to triage and identify what's going on. And I think what you just described was almost a perfect uh, world incident where it's not a, a situation where people are trying to find blame mm -hmm. or, uh, or, or trying to, you know, protect themselves, but really coming together to find out what's happening and work together to yep. solve the problem. Um, mm -hmm. And that is absolutely, you know, uh, wrapped up in culture. So, so let's just kind of jump into it because I'm interested to hear your viewpoints, insights, and experiences around building a culture that encourages and almost demands that the people within it um, are curious and are innovative and are working uh, with each other against a common goal or towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what has your experience been, Toby, that, that kind of brought you to this point where you're now uh, advising and, and coaching and consulting others on how to create that environment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, how I came to that was that I went a lot into this huge topic of developer experience and developer productivity. How can we serve engineers with a better experience and through that also improve their productivity and their performance, their engagement, and also the retention, how long they stay? Because these are all things that the business, of course, cares about. Mm -hmm. And um, with that, I also identified or like saw that culture is a huge factor in that. So um, the, the difference starts already with, do we feel safe in the company? Um, do we have a psychological safety and are we trusting each other? This is, this is the foundation where everything is based on. When we don't have that, we can have the nicest tools and we can have the nicest processes and structures. And maybe we have even a nice team, but that doesn't matter so much because the foundation always is the, the cultural aspect. How do we collaborate? How do we communicate? Can right. we trust each other and do we feel safe? And that's, that's one of the biggest things where I think many companies miss that point to the sense that they jump into or that they think about the organization as a machine. And that means 
the uh, the people in the organization are just clock wheels, so to say, mm -hmm. that that function all the time the same. But that's not true, right? Um, they are humans, and they have uh, different. They they function different every day. They have uh, real like private things going on that influence how they work. And also that means we can have relationships with each other and those serve as a trust because, or as a foundation for the trust, because what, um, what makes the difference is if we have the common purpose or if everybody has their own purpose and their own goal. And in many companies, we have these, we have, um, different goals actually, like from the, from top down, we have the, the business goal. But then everybody has their own secret agenda, what they want to achieve in the company. Maybe they want to become the manager of the team, or maybe they want to step up the hierarchy in another way. And that breaks the, the trust if you cannot be sure that we have the same goal. So let me make sure I, I, I'm hearing you correctly, because I think there's something very important in what you just said. Um, in a organization, again, organizations are, are comprised of human beings. And human beings are messy, right? Um, we have needs, we have wants, we have desires. Yeah. We have fears. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> and you said mm -hmm. something during uh, the three questions that I want to come back to, but you know, you, you were in university and you were learning, uh, you know, to do, to, to become a software developer. So you were learning uh, all the tools and all the patterns and all the, the, the skills that you needed in order to do that job. But from what I heard you say, it was devoid of the human aspect, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about systems. We talk about, um, you know, uh, putting together uh, different services to create these, these applications. But what we don't talk about is the, the human aspect of that. Because right? at the end of the day, we are building software for humans to use. Um, and so somewhere in there, the human needs to enter into the equation, but I'm surprised. Well, I should say I'm not surprised because I've heard this many times, but it, it always kind of hits me that, in our higher education, in the halls of higher education, we're not talking about that, right? We're not preparing um, the next generation of software engineers for one, the workplace, or two, to really consider the human as part of the overall system. I think yeah. it's changing, right? Yeah. Uh, but the point that I'm belaboring to make is you talked about um, building trust and psychological safety. Um, mm -hmm. When you work with companies, Toby, and you're speaking with, I'm sure you're speaking with leaders. I'm sure you're speaking with individual contributors. You might be speaking with executives. What is, is there a, a, a viewpoint that you have picked up on that is either particularly helpful or harmful, right? So for example, you're talking to somebody and you're saying, hey, we really need to introduce the human aspect into your culture. We need mm -hmm. to talk about trust. We need to talk about psychological safety. And for example, somebody goes, no, we don't, right? That, that is, no, the, you know, we just need to get stuff done. Has that happened to you? Or conversely, have you had somebody go, absolutely, we need to talk about these things. Uh, you know, how do we do that? Right. So mm -hmm. kind of take me through that if you would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. It's a pleasure. Um, I had both. <laughs> I, I have uh, seen companies where those topics are very important and where we, we talk about values in, in hiring interviews, where we see is there a cultural fit, we, where we discuss openly how can we increase the trust, how can we increase the safety, what are, can we do to get feedback, for example, from engineers uh, on these topics. But then on the other hand, I have companies that say, okay, it's all great for us because we don't hear any complaints. But mm. that kind of is 
But That's if scary. you don't have psychological safety, you won't hear complaints about that. Absolutely. And people will not tell you in one-on-ones. That's that's something what I always um, recommend to, to leaders, that they don't just trust in the one-on-ones and the signals they get there, but they are that they are also providing ways to give anonymous feedback through service, for example, where mm. people can say, I don't feel safe or I don't feel that I can trust my manager, even if that hurts to hear. But it's right. good if you know that this is an issue because it means that whatever is shared in those conversations is not the full truth or the full perspective of that individual. Right. Uh, that is, <laughs> that's a hard, that's a hard uh, nut to crack, especially when mm-hmm. yeah. there's skepticism or cynicism around ano- anonymous surveys, right? Because mm-hmm. we all know that you get a, l- a large enough data set and anonymous data starts to become identifiable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you know, you know, what department a person's in, um, mm-hmm. you can start to, you know, make some educated guesses around who's filling it out. Yeah. That said, there is absolutely, uh, you know, uh, a thousand positive things that come out of those kind of surveys. Uh, mm-hmm. Great, great data. Um, what thinking about, you know, how I want to kind of pose this question to you. Um, so when you encounter somebody, Toby, that doesn't really have uh, a good sense or grasp on culture as it relates to developer experience. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you might say to them to help them have that sea change, right? So help them mm-hmm. to kind of come around to understand that culture is really at the core mm-hmm. of anybody's work experience. Mm-hmm. But for our purposes, particularly it's developer experience. What are some of the things you might say to them? Yeah. Um, great question. I think it depends a lot on what kind of person is it? Is that person, the leader that I'm talking to a person that is very focused on data and on research, because then I would point them to, um, some of the latest research around developer experience, but also around developer productivity, where we see that the cultural factors such as psychological safety, but also how communication and collaboration work and um, a couple of others are the most contributing factors to performance um, before everything else like tooling and um, product management and all these kind of things. They are important too, don't get me wrong, they are important, Uh, but the cultural aspects are really really important. And we have the, we have research about that. We have concrete numbers. We have, um, interviews in organizations like Google, Microsoft, and so on. They all reveal their results around this. McKenzie did a big, um, research. I think it was in 20, um, 2020 already. Um, and then there was more research later on, on developer experience and productivity. So these are the things where you, uh, where I normally point to, to say, okay, look, it's not just me. But then on the other hand, if it's a person who is more um, uh, a feeling kind of person, I would ask them the question just, did you hire a person who wasn't engaged and motivated? Mm. And then normally they will say, no, of course not. Why should I hire such a person? And then right. I would say, okay, then why is why do you have these people now in your organization? <laughs> and right. then... It is provocative, but um, then the question is what in the organization or in the system where you put these people in, turn them into disengaged and unmotivated people, Mm. if that is an issue that they see. And the answer quite often is that there are cultural aspects that cause friction for the individual and frustration because they cannot just do their job as, as they want to. Because from my perspective, humans want to do a great job as, as good as possible. And most people are super motivated and especially in engineering where many engineers can pick the company they are working for. They are working for a company, of course, because of salary, that's one thing, but also because they want to make a difference because they believe in what the company is doing or they find the challenging, a challenge interesting, something like that. 
So when those people lose the interest, then the question is what stops them from having that interest and what, what makes them just do their job, <laughs> like quitting almost or quitting eventually and leaving the company. And that quite often then leads to the, the leaders thinking more about, okay, what, what is it? And then, ah, okay, maybe we have some cultural topics here that we could improve. Very insightful. Um, I think that, again, you hit on a number of part, uh, points that um, I want to expand upon um, on the other side of the break that we're about to take. Um, so let's, let's do that. Let's, let's take a break, let my sponsors do what they do. Uh, and then when we come back, uh, I want to pick the conversation back up and talk about how, how to interview um, for cultural, I think the word you used was fit. And I want to challenge you a little bit on that word because okay. uh, yeah. I have opinions. Um, so let's take our break. Uh, and then when we come back, we'll get into it. Okay. Great. And we're back from our break. So before we went to it, I said that I wanted to challenge you uh, on the term you use, which was uh, a paraphrase. We, you know, interviewing for cultural fit. Um, as a hiring manager, uh, absolutely culture is important. In fact, I might even be so bold as to say that if you have somebody that you're interviewing that may not, you know, hit all the uh, the points around capabilities and skills, but you see that they are going to be an absolute force multiplier for you from a cultural perspective, mm -hmm. uh, you want to hire that person. Um, but it's the word fit that gets me, uh, you know, gets me a little bit riled up because mm -hmm. what that means to me is that you want them to assimilate. Um, and I, I'm of the opinion, I don't want people necessarily to assimilate. In fact, I, I don't, I'm not looking for somebody that is an exact yeah. fit, quote, quote, yeah. right? Because yeah. every person yeah. that comes into an organization changes the culture. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely true. Okay, great. I want to make sure, uh, you know, I, I understood because I think that there is this misunderstanding potentially, uh, where, when we say cultural fit, we're looking, like I said, we're looking for those cookie cutter people that are mm -hmm. coming into the door and just quote, quote, fit right in. And mm -hmm. in fact, I, I want somebody that's going to challenge, right? I want somebody mm -hmm. that's going to push norms. Um, yeah. and, and not like a, a bull in a China shop type of push, but really come in and go, Hey, I noticed this thing. Mm -hmm. Why is this thing happening? Because oftentimes when we're in the culture, we don't see the culture. We feel yep. it, but mm -hmm. we don't see it. And people yep. coming in with fresh eyes and fresh perspective oftentimes see it very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts uh, on that? Uh, a lot of thoughts. So uh, first, thank you for, for pointing the cultural fit topic out because that's of course not how I understand cultural fit, but we have like people that are exactly like the people inside of the company and just blend in without any, any challenges there, because then we have a definitely, I would say a lack of diversity and we right. all know that diversity leads to much, much better results because discussions and conversations and also conflict when we have a healthy culture are healthy. They, they help us to find better solutions, to come to, to, to better results. And also not only for the product or um, what we are building, but also, and this is probably more important for the organization itself. So cultural fit, what do I mean by that? For example, I would say there are some conflicts um, when the understanding of how we work in a company is completely opposite on the inside and on the outside. I, I had a friend for whom it was very important to 
um, stick to, to the regular working hours and not work in the evenings or in the early mornings because of personal matters. Mm -hmm. She joined a really cool um, company, so she thought, because it's, it seemed like there were great engineers and everything looked good just to figure out that it was kind of demanded to join late hour um, mm. meetings and these kind of things, right. which is wasn't also negotiation. So for the company, that wasn't something to, to discuss or negotiate. So very quickly, the work, everybody was happy with her work, but nonetheless, it wasn't a, a fit from, from the culture because the culture was more like this hustle culture. And I would say it's important to be transparent about the culture that we are having. And right. in an interview, in an hiring interview, also talk openly about the things that maybe the person we want to hire sees as difficult in that. And then discuss, yeah. are these parts of the culture something we, we are open about to discuss and to change? Or are these non-negotiable? Because if we find a conflict there and say, okay, the company works like this and we are happy about it, but we won't change it. And the right. other person says, okay, then it's not the environment I want to work in. Then right. it's good to find that out at that point. Because oh, absolutely. I believe that it really is a people's uh, problem and that there are most of the time, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that, uh, that usually when there are problems, it's a systemic issue. It's a, system, um, mm. um, a problem of the environment and really right. a, a person's fault. So the question now is, should we change the environment? Maybe yes. And that should be an open discussion and we should talk about that. But it can also be that not every system and not every environment, not every organization is a perfect fit for every individual. Of course Absolutely. not, because they are very different. It's like not every group of friends is suitable for every kind of person or not every right. um, sports club is, <laughs> is suitable. So but it's important to talk about this and not um, only find out by accident once you're in the company that there are topics that you cannot um, that you cannot change that you cannot talk about, but that are important to you. Yes, absolutely, and I, I appreciate the fact that that you you know you brought up that during an interview process, it, it is I think absolutely critical that you are you are transparent because here's the thing there's this thing called the internet and i don't know if you've noticed but people will go on the internet and they will be brutally honest especially on sites like glassdoor or uh fishbowl right or blind uh, or even on google reviews right they will go and they will let <laughs> let their real thoughts be known and so mm -hmm. If you have a, your culture is going to get out there, right? It's going to be talked about. Uh, and so if you're in an interview uh, and you're trying to paint this, you know, uh, rosy picture of culture, but yet the person you're talking to has Google up or blind up or whatever, and they're looking and going, wait a minute. What you're talking about and what I'm reading here sound like mm -hmm. two completely different companies. Yeah. Um, when, when you are interviewing, uh, and I don't know if you have any advice here, but when you are interviewing uh, people and you want to really engage in that back and forth around culture, as either the interviewer, Toby, or the interviewee, what are some questions that you might ask um, that would help to, uh, identify whether that person is going to thrive in the culture or not. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice there or, or any research you might be able to point to? Mm -hmm. Um, thinking about it, uh, I think I don't have any research on top of my head on the interviewing part, uh, but how I would approach it as an interviewee or also as an interviewer is to ask, how do you like to work? For example, mm. uh, engineers, uh, when we have teams, for example, who are very used to collaborating and to pair programming or ensemble programming, which is right. a great way to work. And we have an individual that really doesn't like to work that way. 
then there is a conflict uh, to happen. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Right. And then that's good to find out, for example. And uh, I, I like to um, just let people walk me through their their workday or how they usually work, how they um, mm -hmm. how it looks like, and then listen to what they are saying where I might want to dive deeper, like um, about like the meetings they are having, the interactions, or I might challenge them even and say, let's say if you have um, a disagreement in, in your team, uh, how are you approaching that? How is that handled? And they might say something like, yeah, we, are, we discuss it openly. We, um, we uh, see that we have the same understanding of the issue. We think about what is the goal and what's the purpose, why we are here. And then that usually helps us to make a decision or they might say, well, if you can't decide, <laughs> the manager decides. These are two very different cultures <laughs> and right. that's, uh, that's also something that can be very, very insightful. So, um, uh, yeah, or also when that. we think about how do we change parts of the, of the company, for example, what if I figure I have an idea how we can improve um, how the company operates and does a certain process, for example, how can I participate or contribute to that change in that direction? And then I learned something about, okay, maybe, yeah, we have an organizational proposal process where you can write it down, what you see, the tension you are having, the benefits of changing it in a certain way. And then you can get feedback from other people on that suggested change. That, right. that is one way to do it. And the other way is okay, you need to convince somebody in the organization um, and then they will do the change. <laughs> so um, different approaches and they give, give a lot of insight if that's a company I like to work for or maybe not. Understood. Um, and I, I think, you know, culture has always been around. I mean, <laughs> it, it is, like I say, it, it is a, uh, a, a creation, a, a construct that, that gets, uh, you know, formed when I think probably more than two or three people come together uh, mm -hmm. for any common purpose or common goal. Um, you know, it's that implicit and oftentimes explicit um, agreement, social agreement, social contract that we have with one another on how we're going to treat each other, um, how we are going to communicate with one another, how we are going to uh, you know, handle conflict or handle disagree. Well, conflict disagreements, you know, it's, it's, it just happens. Right. And so mm -hmm. as engineers, you know, we are trained to try to apply, you know, engineering principles or critical thinking or first principles, um, mm -hmm. to solve problems. And that doesn't often that oftentimes doesn't necessarily fit with culture because mm -hmm. oftentimes culture is not logic based, right? It's it's rooted mm -hmm. in feelings, I think. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I think companies, even large companies, are starting to understand this and really putting forth a concerted effort to look at their culture. I know Goldman Sachs, you know, uh, is going through some transformation in this area. Um, I think there was a study you cited uh, from McKenzie that mm -hmm. talked about, you know, the developer experience and how it's becoming, you know, it's, it's becoming a, a focal point for organizations. Um, and you're right, right in the middle of that, right? I mean, you're out there, talking about the developer experience and, and trying to focus people around that. What, what kind of brought you to do that to, because again, you went into software development, but now you're, you're now talking about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, <laughs> you know, uh, you're talking about uh, theory X and theory Y as it applies to leadership, right? The theory mm -hmm. X is to say that people are lazy and as a manager, you have to employ the carrot and the stick and theory Y mm -hmm. says, no, people are inspired and, and motivated to do great work and all your, what you need to do is, is support them and, and encourage them and enable them. Again, what brought you to this side of that equation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love, I really love that question because 
Um, it's funny because everybody says, okay, you are a software developer and you do, you're developing software for, I think now over 20 years because I started really early. Uh, but in the end, it's not so much about writing code. For me, it was always about solving problems. And sometimes mm. I use software for that. And right. when I went into organizations, I quickly discovered that the engineers around me also had problems that I cared a lot about, sometimes even more than um, about the problems of maybe the, the customers, because I saw how many, how much time and potential is wasted because of inefficient processes, because of fragile uh, tests, of uh, bad tooling, slow tooling. And I saw that people got frustrated about it. And I thought, okay, this doesn't need to be. And in every company I have worked with in the past, I naturally, um, aside of working and building uh, solutions for customers, I always drifted towards building solutions or fixing problems for engineers. And then mm -hmm. in the last company I worked uh, full-time, that was uh, Brighter. I started uh, the developer experience team as a tech and product lead. And with that team, that was a platform team that was building abstractions for other teams to work better, work faster, to remove some of their frustration, help to introduce continuous deployments, for example, introduce more automated testing and gave them the right tools for their jobs that they needed. And also working on other topics where we saw that there is friction. And I realized then, and also by doing so, going deeper into the research, how important culture really is for, uh, for that topic and how, um, how much of a difference that makes if people um, can change the environment in which they are to suit them the best way or if they can't. And in many organizations, it's very hard to change the environment in which you are as a software engineer because there are no, no processes and no structures to do so. You can maybe talk right. to a manager, they can talk to a manager and so on. And then eventually something might change or maybe not. But in organizations that have a bit more modern approaches towards this, it's easier because there are processes and you can, you can contribute to that change. And that really makes, makes the difference for the engineers in the end. So this is how I came to, to think about organizational structures as well and about processes, about how leadership should work today, um, all to increase the developer experience. And with that also, um, of course, in the end, the productivity and the business results, because people who can work better in the end, do better job, do better work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that is, that is very profound. Uh, what you just said thing, people that work better together, obviously, or I don't say obviously, cause that makes it sound like a, a you know, <laughs> like an easily uh, reached conclusion, but it kind of is. I mean, it, it follows that if people are happy and they're, you know, they, they feel psychologically safe. They, fe they feel like they're seen and that they belong. Then from my experience, Toby, there are, you know, there's nothing standing in the way really from that creativity and that mm -hmm. innovation to flourish. Right. Um, you also cited, uh, it, you know, in our discussion, um, something called Project Aristotle, I believe, out of Google. Um, and that is, you know, I know Google, you know, they are at the forefront in a lot of ways around this concept of, you know, creating a, uh, a, a positive and encouraging and supportive developer experience. Mm -hmm. um, they, they cite five different aspects or, or five different you know, pieces of the, the developer experience puzzle. Um, and I'd like to kind of step through that with you, if you don't mind, because I think each one of them is important um, and not always, you know, not always obvious. Uh, the psychological safety, you know, we've talked to death about that. And I think that that, one, that psychological safety has become somewhat of a, you know, a buzzword as of late. So I think there's a lot yeah. of, of thought yeah. around that. But, but dependability. Um, you know, getting things done on time. When you make a commitment, you keep your commitment. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about why dependability 
is important to create a culture of excellence or, or how to, I'm sorry, create a culture that supports a, an excellent devel- developer experience. Mm-hmm. So um, in the end, I would say that is about trust, right? Uh, if I can depend on somebody and on their word, then I, I can trust them. And then I, if I have the experience that uh, somebody promises something to me and in the end um, that doesn't happen in, in that way, I know I cannot depend on them because I, I then need to check in. And this is something important also for engineers to understand or for employees in general, that this is a, a two-directional, a bidirectional uh, thing. Like leaders need to depend on employees and, and engineers, and but also the other way around. And that means we need to communicate about things. It can always happen that we say, okay, we think something takes two weeks to, to finish. And then we realize, oh, it's more complicated than that. Especially in software, there are always surprises, things go wrong. And if you communicate that early enough, then that, that's okay. Then people know, okay, we, you are accountable for that. You, you, you raise concerns when you see them and we can, we can still trust you. But the worst case that can happen is that we don't talk and then people just assume things are happening as we said they would have it happen. And then when it's right. almost too late, they find out that it didn't happen that way because right. that leads them to them being frustrated. And th- these can be leaders. And I've seen that in, in, in the past who then, who gave a lot of trust, but then at some point got into a panic mode kind of, oh, it doesn't happen now. We have other problems. We need to fix some other fires around. And then the consequence was that they went more into a controlling mode again and said, okay, I need to check in more often. I need to ask how it's going. And because the dependability was lost and that fires back for the engineers, because then they are more interrupted with status meetings, with these kind of uh, interactions that we don't have that feel unpleasant and that prevent us from working actually on, on creating the solution. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, Trust is quick to harm and and uh, long to heal, right? I mean, it's yeah. something that if if you're not if you if you cannot trust the person to the left of you or to the right of you, um, you've got a big problem, right? And and I love that the way that Google has structured these five. I mean, they're, they're you know these are five interconnected. Um, uh, concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, base, right? If we're thinking about the hierarchy of needs here, it's psychological safety. It starts with psychological safety, mm-hmm. but psychological safety depends upon dependability and trust. And if you don't have dependability and trust, you don't necessarily have psychological safety because people start to get into uh, survival mode at that point, right? If they feel yes. threatened because they can't trust the people around them, they're going to go into, you know, protect mode. Um, But if you have psychological safety and you have dependability, and then you can start to look at structure and clarity. So you can say, okay, my basic needs are taken care of. I, I, I feel good that I can speak my mind. I trust that the people around me are going to do what they say and, and, or say what they do and do what they say. Um, Now, what is my, role in this? What is my part? My, you know, how do I fit into this puzzle? Um, if there isn't clarity within the team, Toby, so if you're create, trying to create a, a, you know, a high performance developer experience, how important is clarity and structure to, to that experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It- well, of course, it's it's really important. Um, also, the the newer paper um, by Abinola, Nicole Foscreen, uh, and others uh, on DevEx, what really um, or what actually drives productivity, uh, and the factors before show that clear goals and uh, having a clear scope of what we are doing and what we are not doing is an important factor in the developer experience and also, of course, in productivity. Because in the end, it means to have a clear vision, where do we want to go and the purpose, but also it means to have clear goals. And 
that's something that's sometimes hard to um, to understand. I would say because we need to find the de- uh, balance between giving a, a direction. Like um, you can think of it as a compass. A compass shows me the the direction, but it doesn't show me the path how I should go right. in that direction. If I if I know I want to go north, but I find out that there's a cliff in the middle. I go a bit uh, east or west and find find a different approach. So the clarity is a lot like a compass, I would say, to give us this this direction um, that we want to go and to keep us on track. But we might go left and right and and change that. And this is important because another aspect that we ha- need to have as a team is autonomy. If we mm. have only tasks that are um, uh, um, described into the latest detail and it's just coding no thinking just coding or just doing the work but no creativity that's super boring and that's also frustrating and that also very quickly leads so that people don't understand the bigger picture anymore because they don't need to in order to do these tasks and then they will just do what was written down there no matter if it's the right thing to do or not but if we have clarity about the bigger picture, where do we want to go as a company or uh, what kind of problem do we want to solve for our customers, then that gives us a lot of freedom to figure out the right path and also to figure it out incrementally by working with the customers, by shipping uh, an MVP or by just trying something, running an experiment, getting new insights and refining the solution. And that's what software engineering at the end is and what makes it also fun. Um, to have the clarity why we are doing our job and where we need to go, but not necessarily knowing already how the path looks, how the final solution will look like, because then that's just, yeah, uh, boring work. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and that kind of you know, takes me to, uh, are you familiar with the, uh, the uh, Spotify squad health check uh, process? Yeah, um, a bit. So, you know, just for as as explanation for those of you who may not know what I'm talking about, uh, the company Spotify, uh, again, has put a lot of, of uh, research and time and thought into how to create high-performing teams. And, you know, Toby mentioned earlier on that you, you, you need data, right? And, and if you don't have data... Uh, then you have no visibility. If you don't have visibility, then you really can't uh, create a an environment or a culture where people can can perform to the best of their abilities. So they put together what's called a squad health check, and it's uh, a list of I think seven, eight different areas that uh, are surveyed as a team during their team ceremonies. And on that health check, uh, there are you know, questions about, um, you know, teamwork um, and, you know, are you learning and are you able to, you know, release your software easily, right? So those are, you know, those speak to the systems that we have in place, but mm-hmm. the, the questions I find most intriguing and honestly, most impactful oftentimes is, are you a pawn or a player, right? Do you have that autonomy? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Are you just, you know, do you feel like you're a piece on the chessboard that's getting moved around? Or do you feel like the person that's moving the chessboard, right? Um, another one is fun. Are you having fun? And I will tell you as a member of a particular generation, we were brought up that work was not fun. Mm-hmm. Work was about labor. Work was about, you know, uh, going someplace and working your hardest. And every two weeks you would settle up with your employer. And that was the relationship. But now we talk about fun in, in mm-hmm. work. And I think it's, I think that's an important aspect of culture is, you know, you can have a culture that 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 wants to be high performing, but you can't forget about fun. Would you mm-hmm. agree or disagree with that, Toby? 
Uh, sorry, say again. <laughs> w- would you agree or disagree that you, that fun needs to be part of of a high performing culture? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I 100% dis- uh, agree with that because um, that makes everything easier when we can laugh together, when we don't take it too serious, when um, we also like don't always just think about the work, but maybe make a joke on the side. It lights up the room. It makes it easier for people. And it shows that we are humans and that we are here as a group of humans who are working together. And that's, that's really important because in the end, experience, developer experience is a lot about the subjective factors. How do we feel about something? Do we feel happy about how fast you release? That's not an absolute number that is, can be. Um, I can be very fast, but maybe it's still too slow for what I need. And it still frustrates mm-hmm. me. So the answer is no. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that's the difficulty with absolute numbers. And that's also like the experience is influenced by do we have fun and fun. Also, you don't have fun if you don't feel safe. So right. if you have fun, that's normally a good sign. Uh, unless it's only sarcasm that you have with your team members, that might be, you You can feel unsafe and be very sarcastic uh, about everything. But um, yeah, in general, I would say that uh, fun should be there. If if not, that's not, not up to date, I would say. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you going down, down that path a little bit with me, because like I said, I think, you know, we talk a lot about work. We talk a lot about culture and I think a, a, for, not a forgotten piece, but a piece that doesn't get a whole lot of, um, yeah. of, of attention paid to it is that, that fun aspect, right? Yeah. It should be, you should be enjoying yourself. Exactly. And, and I want to, to, um, add something to, um, what you said before that it is important to measure and that we have that data and, the thing is, some things are very easy to measure, but they are not the important stuff. Yeah. So, for example, in software engineering, we have the DORA metrics, uh, mm-hmm. like um, deployment frequency, uh, uh, mean time to recovery, and uh, all these these things. But they are sometimes not the important because they just show something about the productivity, but not about how people feel about that. And also, they can like still show decent numbers while the team is working over hours just to to keep up that productivity slowly burning out and that's why newer models such as the space framework um it's an acronym in the first letter of that and the most important dimension of this framework is satisfaction and well-being right so mm. um that's and they are talking about developer productivity they say satisfaction and well-being is the leading indicator for productivity and performance and fun is satisfaction yeah, right yeah absolutely uh, and just again for our audience uh, dora d-o-r-a uh, stands for develop or sorry devops research and assessment it's an acronym that came out of google i believe again um and you know the space metrics that that toby just mentioned uh, stands for skills psychological safety autonomy capacity and enablement yeah. uh, so these are two frameworks Mm-hmm. Uh, that that technology companies use to measure, um, well, various performance-related and uh, value-related um, measurements. I guess I, I'm, I'm space uh, space itself is a framework that shows the different dimensions in which you could measure something because naturally right. people turn towards those data heavy things that you can easily measure. How many commits do we have? How much lines of code did this change add or anything, but that isn't meaningful. And to make people think about there are other dimensions that we should also measure like communication and collaboration, the C and space or satisfaction, well-being, the the S uh, flow and efficiency, like the, the E, for example, those are also important dimensions. So think about how you can measure those. And quite often the answer is not, I look into my GitLab or I look into my, my technical tools where I have all the data of all the changes that are happening to the system. But I talk to people is often the answer. And mm-hmm. I talk to them in a structured way 
right? And probably also with surveys, because that's a way how I can make sure that it is structured and that it's not biased by the person doing the one-on-one, -on -one, you know, and the relationship between the people on the one-on-one. -on -one. So that's something from my experience that's still undervalued and maybe a bit difficult to do also in organizations. Absolutely. I, I love that. And thank you for, for bringing that to the forefront around, uh, again, a lot of this data and, and as engineers, we love our data. And oftentimes it can tell you great stories. Uh, and sometimes it could also, you know, hallucinate, uh, you know, it can give you, mm -hmm. it's all, it's really, it, it, it comes down to the analysis and the interpretation of the data um, mm -hmm. when it's quantitative like that. But when you go qualitative or subjective, right, you go talk to people and they talk about their mm -hmm. feelings and they talk about their experiences and their perspectives, that's also important data. And we often think that as, you know, we can't trust it because it is so subjective, but you got to fight that urge, right? You got to fight yeah. that urge to, to not trust it and really say, this is meaningful. And when we put the two together, a much clearer, you know, a holistic, fulsome picture comes together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, to and so Toby, we, we've talked a lot about theory and we've talked about uh you know uh, creating a culture of, of of excellence for for developer experience i want to kind of bring it down to the applied so let's let's imagine for a second that you are a software developer not a not a hard stretch um and that you just listen to this podcast on a saturday because that's what you do on a saturday uh and monday morning you want to go into the office because you just heard, you know, this guy named Toby talk about this developer experience and how to, uh, you know, set up an environment where developer experience is positive and, and autonomous and psychologically safe and, you know, all the things that we just talked about. But you are a software developer as part of a, you know, software developer team. What can you do? to help influence, impact, or inspire uh, creating a high-performing, psychologically safe developer experience? What can the individual do? Mm -hmm. Great, great question. And I would say there's a lot that you can do as, as a software engineer on, on a team because then you are much closer to everybody on that team than other people. And that means you, you see more, you, you see more of the struggle, you see where the frustration comes in. And one thing that you can do first is to make sure that you build good relationships with the people around you and listen to what they are telling you, um, in one-on-ones or in pairing sessions, uh, team programming sessions. For example, you, you will see the things where people get stuck, where people waste time, where people get annoyed to start to complain maybe. And then bring that to attention to somebody who can help or start to raise that as an important topic yourself, uh, because that's, that's the first step, knowing what are the, the issues that we see. Uh, and then there's, of course, more you can do to make your team feel safe um, is in meetings when you, when you collaborate together, make sure that people can speak openly and freely without being interrupted, for example, in some some teams, it's very usual to interrupt each other, but maybe you can try something like a reaction round um, where, where everybody in the round can, can talk and share their opinion uh, without somebody in, jumping in. And, depending, and also be aware that there might be power dynamics within the team. For example, if you are a more senior person, you might not be the manager or the leader of the team, but when you say something, people have a hard time to say something against that because maybe they think, okay, you know it better. And if you say something, that's, that's probably the right way. And what I did in those cases in, in, in teams is just, if I see a problem and I also have an idea how we could solve it, not directly to jump in with a solution, 
but just saying, hey, I see this problem. What do you think we can talk about that? Uh, yeah. uh, we can do about that. And then just be quiet and let people think and and share their ideas on how to solve it. Because in the end, an idea that is created in somebody's head is much powerful than the idea that you place into their head by by talking to them. So if you just tell them the solution, they have maybe they say, okay, it sounds like a good solution. Let's do it like this. And then they can't, can't do it because they didn't think about it. But if it comes mm-hmm. up in their mind, they are much more engaged with that. And they feel that it's their idea and you can appreciate them for having those ideas. And that will give them the courage also to raise ideas more often. For example. Absolutely. Uh, in- incredibly wise advice. Uh, I think that oftentimes uh, you know, as as senior as senior people in this industry, um, we feel like we have to be the smartest people in the room. We feel like we have to have all the answers. We feel like you know uh, we we have to be able to jump in at a moment's notice and and solve the problem. Um, the advice of taking a step back, letting others fill that space and participate, I think is incredibly impactful and, and insightful advice. So thank you for sharing that, Toby. And normally what I would always recommend is to ask a lot of questions. That's personally how, how I always work when I come into a team, just asking a lot of questions. Um, how do you feel about this? What do you think we could improve uh, in this area? And then just listen what people say, because people have opinions usually about, especially mm-hmm. if it's about their work and their everyday life, they have opinions and it's, they like to share normally, and they like it if somebody listens and cares about their opinion. And that gives you so many insights in how people perceive their work. And sometimes it will surprise you because even though you are on the same team, they might have other experiences. For example, like the thing, psychological safety, we talked a lot about this. This is a very subjective thing. So I can have a great relationship with my manager because maybe I don't care about my job so much. So I feel safe to say anything I I want because I think, well, I find a new job, but somebody else might just have bought a house, gotten a kid and is much more dependent on the job and maybe also more junior on the team and doesn't feel the same safety with the manager because they don't have the relationship. They are more afraid of losing their job. So for them, it can feel very different. And yeah. in the team, uh, when you talk openly, people will share also that um, with you as, as a software engineer on the team. Absolutely. And that kind of ties back into what we were talking about during the interview process, right? If you have if you're interviewing somebody that you just know is going to be that kind of person, right? That kind of person that comes in and takes others under their wing and really is that cultural center of gravity within the team, um, hire that person, right? Because you can teach skills. You can, you know, send them the training, you can give them a book, you can, but you can't teach culture, right? You can't teach that. So, um, great conversation. Wow. Uh, we we covered, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, when I listen to it back, I'm probably going to be like, Hey, we're kind of all over the place, but I think we ended up where we wanted, where I wanted to end up. And that is, uh, you know, what does it take to create uh, a truly high-performing, thriving, positive developer experience? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important, and and not not just for developers, right? I mean, it's not, we call it developer yeah. experience, but yeah. take out the word developer and insert uh, accountant, insert yeah. uh, HR, insert marketing, whatever role you you're in, you are having an experience. And that experience mm-hmm. should be po- positive. And, and in order for that to happen, you need to have a culture that supports that because I'm going to borrow a saying from Toby uh, and I'm going to shamelessly steal it, but there are, there are no bad people, only bad environments. And I love that. I might get that on a t-shirt. Um, 
because it's so true. There are no bad people, only bad environments. And so, uh, yes, we talk about developers, but this is applicable to, to anybody in any job in any part of the world. Um, you want to have that, that positive experience and it takes everybody to have that, right? It's, it's everybody must participate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree more, uh, by the way, if you print that on a t-shirt, send me one too. <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, sure saying. I agree. I agree that, uh, this is so much about, um, uh, like, can we create that environment where we have a great experience, whatever that means for whatever profession we are in, if we can influence our environment and can improve our environment together as an organization, as, as a team then we will end up in a place where we have that great experience also because we feel more in, in, in control about what's happening and we can, can shape the environment better. If we cannot do that, then we might have luck that everything is as we like it. And that's also good. But in most cases we will find things that don't work as we want them to work. And then we are stuck with an inferior experience and that yeah. uh, also leads to inferior results. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for for chatting with me today, Toby. Uh, are there any are there any things that you want to uh, to mention that or plug or or let our audience know that you're you're doing? I I will be placing all of your social media contact information in the episode notes. So if you want to reach out to Toby and learn more about what he does uh, and and engage with him to help you uh, with developer experience at your organization. Uh, you know, you'll be able to do that, but is there anything upcoming, uh, that you want our audience to know about? Well, at the moment, too, too many things to just pick one. Um, I, I'm preparing a course on developer experience actually, um, that I'm very excited about, but I would just say, I'm very happy to talk about those topics and related topics. And if that's interesting to you, just hit me up on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to, to chat. Excellent. Well, uh, again, Toby, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming thank on you, the mate. podcast and being my guest. And, uh, I look forward to the next time we speak. So, uh, on that note, uh, we're going to wrap this episode up, uh, as a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, please, uh, Remember to leave a rating and a five-star ranking for this episode, regardless of where you get it from. It helps uh, to, you know, to build an audience and it helps in uh, getting sponsors. So that would be great if you could do that. Uh, but I really hope that you got uh, something usable out of this, this conversation with Toby. Uh, it is inspiring what he is doing and it's inspiring what, what he is um, you know, how he's working with other organizations. Um, and I can't, I don't know, I can't wish you more luck, uh, and, and success, my friend. So take care. Thank you, Wade. It was a pleasure to be on your podcast and talk about this topic with you. Really appreciate that. And thank you. Happy to have you. Okay. Uh, until next time, this is Wade Billings and Talking Culture.